and welcome to the Girl Guide Association. We are the Girl Guides. I am Lauren. And I'm Mary. And today we are going to be revisiting a topic that we have briefly covered before, before the days of the association, so pre-GGA. A couple of years ago we did a Halloween special and we talked about ghost hunting methods. One of the things we talked about was the Ouija board. And we recently got a comment on that YouTube video from a viewer slash listener who said, you know, I also am not a believer, but wanted to play devil's advocate, or as I like to call it, devil's avocado, and (laughs) said, you know, just because we know that it's potentially involuntary movement, does that mean it's not spirits? And we had a fun little chat about it. And I said, you know what? Why don't we go back to it? Because it's a fun topic. So today... We will be discussing the gothic history of the Ouija board. So a fun topic, one that I love because I, even though I don't think that spirits are communicating to us through the Ouija board, I'm all about that aesthetic. Love the aesthetic. I also love this topic because of the way that like corporatism and consumerism (laughs) is, is just there. And I just think it's, you know, really funny. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we're going to be talking about Ouija, but before we uh, hello goodbye this shit, how are you doing, Mary? Yeah, I'm doing good. Um, busy, as always. And uh, I mean, you just said that it was snowing where you are. It's not snowing it here yet, but um, snow is being threatened. So that's that's always fun. <laughs> the snow is imminent. And snow in Sheffield is always fun because yeah. everything pretty much comes to a standstill. I just won't leave my house. (laughs) What's new? (laughs) We don't go outside. (laughs) Outside? Outside? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing though, friend? I'm okay. I cut my hair. I did notice and I did say before we started recording Mm -hmm. that it looked super cute, just in case anyone thought that I was being really rude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you, my partner in crime of what, like nearly 10 years now you're just so rude and you never compliment me on Mm. anything especially not my appearance (laughs) um just kidding my entire emotional well-being and self-esteem is based around compliments from Mary oh that's good (laughs) that I like to give them then isn't it yeah I mean that sounded a lot sadder than I intended it to but (laughs) anyway let's talk about (laughs) planchette (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so I think I don't I don't know where you're starting off but I don't know what is a Ouija board for those so what who don't... is a Ouija board yeah yeah okay so a Ouija board is depending it's usually about a four size it is a thin piece of plywood essentially that has the Roman alphabet so a to z and it has hello goodbye yes no It's often decorated with sort of (laughs) vaguely occult symbols and it comes with a planchette. Now, if you don't know what a planchette is, I will take you back to the origins of what is known as automatic writing. Because automatic writing is essentially the the key concept when it comes to a Ouija board. And also just going to say now... I will probably switch between saying Ouija and Ouija. Hasbro says it's Ouija, but lots of people say Ouija, like a Ouija. Some people say a Ouija, that's wrong. But it's one of those things where it's a made up stupid word 
So you can kind of say it however you want, but the official corporate line is Ouija, but I will definitely switch between the two because my brain can never decide how to pronounce it. I think it it always reminds me of the whole GIF versus GIF (laughs) thing where the person who came up with that word is like, no, it's obviously GIF. It's GIF. It's GIF. And everyone else is like, no, no, he says it's GIF. And everyone else is like, no, it's GIF. And I'm like, that, that's obviously stupid because no one's going to say GIF because that just sounds ridiculous. And to me, like Ouija is just like Ouija sounds. Ouija, yeah. Ouija sounds like more spooky. It's a Ouija board. Yeah, thank you. I mm. agree. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the Ouija slash Ouija board is a physical product that, as I will explain later, you can buy in game stores from the company Hasbro. But the actual concept behind it dates back mm, centuries, possibly millennia. Now, one of the earliest um, documented kind of historical evidence that we have is from the Song Dynasty round about the 10th, 11th century. So the Song Dynasty in China. And there's this kind of talk about um, planchette. Obviously, it wasn't called, it's not called planchette in Chinese. So automatic writing is this idea where you are hypnotized or in a trance state or you are watching something and your hand is moving and you are writing but you are supposedly not conscious while you are writing. So either you are literally writing or you have a planchet. So a planchet is essentially just like a little stone or a little counter And the idea is that you move, you are guided to move the planchette around and the planchette um, creates the sentences and words. So in Ouija, the planchette is sort of like a teardrop shape. It's very famous. I would say iconic. I have it on dresses. I also have my embroidery thread, my little, um, not looms, I can't think what the word is, but basically the thing that I use to stop my threads getting tangled. They're shaped like planchets. They're planchets with little holes in them for my thread. The Ouija planchet is, is very famous. It's part of its famous iconography. But this is something that dates back hundreds of years before. So automatic writing and the use of planchets or planchets for automatic writing. So, you know, someone puts someone into a trans state and supposedly they are communicating I was going to say, like, the thing about automatic writing is that often people would devote days, weeks, mm-hmm. or sometimes longer. They, they'd go somewhere and they would either just get themselves, sometimes with their dominant, but sometimes with their non-dominant arm, it depends. Yeah. Um, and with, like, paper, and they just scribble and scribble and scribble until something looked legible. Or they would either themselves or with the help of someone else get themselves into a trance-like state yeah and then hover until they were kind of you know in the zone and Mm -hmm. just but yeah imagine imagine going like on a weekend retreat but all you're doing is sitting down with a piece of paper or, or some kind of writing instrument and something in your hand and then writing yeah essentially and you know there's a certain kind of cultural argument that this comes from um, things like prophesying and divination. So particularly in China, there's this idea that this was part of divination, the same as reading runes or stars or entrails, that you are channeling a presence. Um, you know, so it could be connected to things like Oracle of Delphi, huffing some fumes, and then spouting prophecy. You are actually supposedly communicating and then 
you are the vessel for that message. But rather than you speaking it, speaking in tongues or whatever it may be, you are either using the planchette to dictate the words or you are physically writing it. And this is always been a quite a popular thing it's been quite a controversial thing the song dynasty outlawed it and there was some controversy over it during the renaissance is it witchcraft is it you know is it genuine but it becomes incredibly popular in the late 1800s with the rise of spiritualism so mary i mean i think i know that you know the answer to this question but do you know what spiritualism is yeah, it's, it's the, mo- <laughs> the movement, right, um, of... It's the movement, capital the T, movement. capital M. <laughs> well, I say the movement because, it, like you said, it starts in the 19th century, the kind of mid to late 19th century, and it is a, a kind of trend, a wave of people, specifically mediums or people who believe themselves mm-hmm. to be mediums, who thought that they could commune with the dead. And there were all of these kinds of mechanics that they would employ to demonstrate that communication some of which involved seances or Mm -hmm. things like spirit boxes but some of them are also you know things like the automatic writing yeah yeah exactly so it is a quasi-religious movement technically you can count yourself like you know your faith is spiritualism but spiritualism was so fractured so quickly it was never one coherent movement you had american spiritualism you had english particularly london-based spiritualism you had um swedenborg over in europe so it was all it's always been a very fractured movement but the different schools like very wildly some are very scientific and were interested in things like energy waves and you know really thought that you could track these things somewhere mm. like obsessed with with ideas of magic and I'll talk about that a little bit later but the key tenets to almost all spiritualist movements is that there is the presence of a spirit world so not necessarily a traditional Christian heaven but potentially another realm sort of laid over this one a spectral spiritual world or realm that there is the ability to have spiritual uh, spiritual higher connections either with spirits or with one another because the idea is that either each body contains a spirit or that you know death is only one step on the journey and then we can become spirits and that we are capable and there is the potential for spiritual growth so that's kind of the core of all of the spiritualist movements some are very occult others less so some are more kind of like energy based you have a lot of got a lot of transmigration you've got a lot of um buddhism and zenism and things like that creeping into the western world and being vastly misunderstood (laughs) so needless to say there's a lot of wiggle room in spiritualism there's a lot of gaps in the margins there's a lot of space for a lot of things to be possible because if you believe in the presence of a spiritual world whether that is a secular spiritual world or a religious spiritual world, any religion, you know, some people were dabbling in things. This is when things like Kabbalah start to get quite popular. You've got New Age Christianity, you have early New Age pagan revival, you have people starting to get interested in Buddhism, you have Catholic mysticism. So some of these people are very secular and this is essentially a brand new religion and some less so. And this is a time of new religions particularly in the US, this is when Mormonism is booming. 
And you have people like the Shakers and the whole, you know, early versions of what would later become cults like the Holy Rollers. This is an age of massive sects happening. Um, People being like, hey, what if we did this instead? So the, the kind of silver age of cults, shall we say. I would just add to that, that it's also, um, you know, spiritualism. There were and are a lot of people who mm-hmm. who do believe in in the methods and the communication and, and the existence of the spirit realm and and that genuinely believe that either they or, or, or people who have those kinds of abilities can communicate with the dead. But it also does engender a lot of frauds. Um, yep. I'm, I'm not going to speak to you know <laughs> whether or not spiritualism is real. I don't know that we have enough evidence to say that it is, mm-hmm. and you can't prove a negative. But there are definitely lots of people who kind of took the movement and used it for their own gain, for celebrity, for money. Yeah. Um, and I think some of the methods, including. <laughs> spirit writing you can you can probably think oh it would be quite easy to manipulate that Mm -hmm. and pretend that that it was wasn't you that it was a spirit yes 100 and famously um the fox sisters in Mm -hmm. america ran a years-long scam later came out and and admitted it was in fact a scam um although scams were very believable because Mm -hmm. Arthur Conan Doyle was 100 percent you know in in their favor being like yes yes these fairies exist so yes so one of that was actually one of the names I have on my list so I'm real glad you said that so what I wanted to kind of point out is that this is not a fringe movement Mm. some very prominent very intelligent people were wholeheartedly part of the spiritualist movement Arthur Conan Doyle was one of them. And another one, very famously, who actually did use a Ouija board is W uh, B Yates, from here on referred to only as the poet Yates. So, so the poet Yates, the poet Yates, dabbled in, Irish dabbled poet in Yates, spirit, spiritualism, was hugely into spiritualism. Mm. He was... Um, a member of major spiritualist organizations, mm-hmm. mortal enemy of Alistair Crowley, also one mm-hmm. of my mortal enemies. Um, uh, yeah. I'll mention yeah. him a little bit later. And Yates was hugely into the spiritualist movement. And it went very much hand in hand with um, the Irish kind of late 19th century renaissance and, and reclamation of, of Irish culture and Irish heritage and Irish folklore. Mm. And Yates very much blended spiritualism and the occult with his Irish heritage and his imaginings of ancient Ireland to create his poetry and you might even say the Ouija board was his muse for some of his poems because he did write poetry inspired by the Ouija board so this is a huge huge movement and guess what war it's all about war now okay (laughs) yes I'm making it about war again less so in Europe the European spiritualists are less moved by war. But the Ouija board is an American product. And it is very, very intermingled in American, particularly like North American pop culture and almost history to an extent. So the Civil War had a massive impact on the growth of spiritualism because um, lots of people died. Lots of families were fractured. You've you know famously had brothers fighting on different sides. The Civil War in the US had a very fraught 
ethical and moral aspect that is way too complex to get into in this episode. I'm sure that most of you are familiar with the reasons and purposes for the American Civil War, but it was a massive, massive death toll. And it also really ravaged the country. It's a war taking place in one nation. It's causing famine. It's causing industrial disruption. um, It's causing family breakdowns, you know, loss of breadwinners. And spiritualism naturally grew out of that post-war period. And this is when spirit boards start to be used. So in the 1870s and the 1880s, People wanted to contact their dead relatives because what was happening a lot in the Civil War and a lot of Gothic has hinged on this. It happens so much in vampire media. You have the lone soldier who is, you know, trying to make his way back home, having been, you know, wounded in the Civil War. People were having to travel massive, massive different uh, distances to try and get home. And things are lost along the way. People either didn't make it home or they died and nobody knew exactly where they died or how they died. So this massive desire starts to come about to communicate with the lost soldiers. So spirit boards in the 80s and 90s start to become really popular as a way to communicate with lost loved ones. And this is where Ouija comes from. However, it's a freaking parlor game. Well, yeah, I mean, you've, meant, you've mentioned Hasbro a few times. Like, are you getting to this now? The yeah. Whole, yeah. <laughs> so um, do you know what a parlor game is? A uh, game that you were playing a parlor? <laughs> yes. Do you know what a parlor is? <laughs> yeah, isn't it like a, not a sitting room, not a dining room, but like a, not a hallway, but somewhere yeah, in between the basically. three? Yeah, basically. So parlor games, we're talking about, like the late 19th century, we're starting to get um, mass production or ease of production. And this is when board games start to become really popular and particularly parlor games. So sometimes these and earlier, sort of in um, the early 18th century. So during the Regency, we have a lot of card games Mm. and not just your typical kind of bridge and stuff like that. These games would often have, you know, themes or stories or there was a sort of narrative that went alongside it. And into the 19th century, you get more and more parlor games. Because there was, I, just to emphasise, there was no Netflix. There was no, <laughs> no, no TV, no internet. Yeah. And delivery services, you yeah. could just order a book and then it would turn up the next no. day. So you had to have like things to entertain yourself and yeah. to entertain your guests yeah. on hand. And they had to be interesting and, mm-hmm. you know, not, not just like a quick game of cards or something yeah because it it was boring as fuck yeah yeah it was boring as fuck I mean even in like Jane Austen novels you can see the heroines being like oh my god are we playing cards again Mm -hmm. great can't wait to pay another hand of rummy (laughs) it's boring like I I love a card game but there's only so many times you can do it it's if your only form of group entertainment is playing cards or putting on amateur dramatics it's a lot of it's effort. Weird how often that happens. The so parlor games become really, really popular. The origin of the Ouija board comes from two guys, Elijah Bond and his employee William Fould, uh, round about the July of 1890. So they have this idea. And the origins of Ouija are a little bit, shall we say, m- mystified because I think intentionally to make the game more popular. 
there's all this kind of mythology that goes along with how it got its name and how it was created. Some versions of it say like, oh, a ghost gave them the name and a ghost gave him the idea. (laughs) And other versions is... You know, this is early American capitalism. They saw people using these spirit boards either because they believed in it or because it's boring and they wanted something fun to do. And they were like, <laughs> money making idea. It's hard to say. Is it? Is it hard to say out of those no, two options? Which... What's more mm. hard to say, I suppose, is who had the original idea? Who came up with the name? Where did the name come from? Because the versions of the stories are, for example, so the name. There's two versions of this like story. One version is that a ghost suggested it because it was the ancient Egyptian term for good luck or something or good fortune. This is interesting because this fascination with ancient Egypt also happens in the development of tarot. When tarot came mm. about, tarot was just a game, an Italian game. It took on this occult properties and the people that popularized it as an occult thing were like, in ancient Egypt, they used this to tell fortunes. And there and there was in this period, because again, you have to think about the backdrop of colonial mm-hmm. expansion. Mm-hmm. And in the, in this period, particularly in the British Empire, there was a kind of Egypt mania. Yeah. And you had all these novels that were interested or like looking at mm-hmm. and set in Egypt starring Egyptian mummies or Mm -hmm. figures from the past and weaving in those kinds of occult yeah uh, and colonial histories or you know the histories before colonialism yeah and there's a lot of orientalism which at this point still includes places like um Egypt and uh, Mesopotamia and like ancient Sumerian things um so Egypt is really popular as a ooh spooky spooky mm. concept at the time so I think it's no surprise that one of the first concepts they came up with was a ghost told us to call it Ouija because that's the ancient Egyptian um, another uh, myth is that it's Ouija because it's French and German mixed together for yes. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. And that's why it's Ouija. That has mostly been proven to be full of shit. Surely it's only Ouija if it comes from the Ouija part of France and Spain but yeah the Ouija Ouija region of Spain and of of France and and Germany but everywhere everywhere else it's just sparkling Ouija (laughs) Uh, yes I agree um yeah that's basically been proven to be full of shit but anyway regardless (laughs) of how this came how this actually came to be and who was the originator It's probably just because it sounds fun. It's a fun word to say. But ultimately, Elijah Bond's company start to produce it. Another company buys it. Parker Brothers inherit it or buy the concept. And eventually Parker Brothers is bought out by Hasbro. So Hasbro, that well-known corporate giant of toy making and um, copyright of many, many beloved children's things, Hasbro owns Ouija. So yeah, Hasbro owns the copyright and they're actually quite, Hasbro are big on copyright. They protect their copyright because the thing about copyright is if you do not continually defend it, you'll lose it. So Hasbro owns the copyright and that's why if you go on Etsy, if you're shopping goth fashion, if you're looking at an indie brand, often it will be called like, hello, goodbye, uh, planchette, spirit board, because the term Ouija... And now 
Is Ouija copyrighted? Maybe not. Maybe we call it Ouija. But the term Ouija is copyrighted by Hasbro, which is hilarious. The same people that make, I think, Monopoly. <laughs> Hasbro are huge. They make children's toys. They also make the Ouija board. And they are the only people that are allowed to make the Ouija board. So you can buy an official Hasbro and they sell it as a game. You can buy the official Hasbro Ouija board for $24.99 on Amazon. Participants not included. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't come with friends to contact the dead with, sadly. Or just, you know, doesn't come with ghosts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, you technically this is a copyrighted product. But how does it work? So, Mary, do you know what idiomotor response is? I'm assuming that it is the you have like in in your in a part of your body I'm I'm imagining like the arm and the hand mm-hmm. where you have sort of like movements that maybe you don't think you're in control of or something like yes. that so the idiomotor response is a phenomenon within the body where we make unconscious movements so this can be twitches this can be unconscious reactions to certain stimuli such as um, electromagnetic waves such as you know certain sounds certain uh, visuals but also just it's essentially non-conscious movement so we have conscious movement so me moving my hand here is conscious but at the same time i'm moving my hand my foot could twitch or my eye could twitch or you know if i'm holding a pen i might like my wrist might sort of like flick unintentionally. And that's the idiomotor response. So the idiomotor response is a proven scientific phenomenon. And I just want to say up top that they have done multiple studies on the Ouija board. And the lab results showed that when people were touched, so maybe let's take this to the game. How do you do a Ouija board? You sit around a table, you need multiple people, right? You need multiple you, you people. You need at least two people, but the more yeah. the better. So five or six people mm-hmm. um, all touching that planchette. So you either put both your index fingers or one index finger, usually the index finger on your non-dominant hand, which actually there's some suggestion that the idiomotor response is more likely to happen in your non-dominant because you have less control over it. Like mm. you have less conscious control over it, but you all touch the planchette and you ask the board a question, the planchette moves across the board, either to yes or to no, and then, you know, it can spell out things on the board. Science has shown that when people are saying, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, when the planchette is moving, they actually are. I'm shocked at that. Shock, (laughs) shock. So they are actually moving it. The spiritualist concept is that you are touching it and the spirit is moving the planchette. So the idea is that you have to open the board and close the board. So you open the board with hello, you close the board with goodbye. And the concept that has risen up around it is that if you fail to close the board properly, the spirit is let into the material plane and all of these terrible things can happen. So objectively in its simplest form, it's it's automatic writing. It's a spirit board. 
it has taken on. So in the 1890s and the early 1900s, it also became very, very popular during and after World War One, because, again, lots of dead people. Well, I was going to say, actually, like there's there's lots of accounts of, of spiritualism being really important in both the First and Second World Wars. Mm-hmm. And spiritualists were, were used to greater or lesser degrees by um, the British government, at, at least, to just just on the off chance that they were yep. right in, in terms of can you tell us where um, mm-hmm. the next attack is going to happen? Or can yeah. you communicate with someone from this from this attack or this, you know, this event and and see if they have any intelligence? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, this is also in the period where people were investigating spiritualism yes. um, and, and things like that. So there were also government agencies that were in this period whilst mm-hmm. the war was going on trying to yeah. work out well obviously these people these people are lying um but yeah like there's a there's a big connection in those kinds of yeah the first kind of world wars of, of the 20th century yes exactly and I'm sure we'll probably do an episode and I haven't mentioned mesmerism because it's its own thing and I'd like mm. to do an episode on it at some point but this is a period where mesmerism is a science and mesmerism is a scientific possibility and you know hypnosis and mesmer still has a certain amount of scientific credibility mm. probably can't hypnotize someone into clucking like a chicken. But there is an element we know where you can put someone into a trance state and you can make them. So, for example, EMDR, you can use it as a therapeutic technique where you reprocess people's memories or you help people genuinely recover repressed memories, not of them, you know, coming out the birthing canal, but repressed memories that someone is like, I know I went through this experience. I can't remember it because my brain has locked it away. And you put them into that state so you can unlock the memory. That all comes from this early kind of pseudoscience Mm. and science being two very interconnected things. The gap between pseudoscience and science in the 1890s, right up until, you know, the 1950s is massive because the possibility and the potential science is evolving so rapidly that, yeah, it's like, well, maybe telekinesis is possible. Like, we don't know. We know that X, Y and Z is possible. Obviously, then we develop more accurate scientific tools and it's like, yeah, probs not. But there is this kind of thing. And up until like the 70s, there's instances of Ouija boards and spiritualism and mediums being used as a reason for like a retrial because certain things have have come to light. So there's two versions of how a Ouija board works. There's the spiritualist version, which is you are communicating with the spirits and the spirits are either moving the planchet themselves or moving through the people in the room. And the scientific response that is it's idiomotor response. It's a example of sort of like almost very specific situational either hysteria or full ado where you have that kind of thing where you're all convincing each other that something is possible we know this happens there's lots of instances of people convincing themselves that they've seen something because they're all in a room together or they've heard something and you know a slight movement from one person makes a slight movement in another person it starts to spell things out and you start to convince yourself because the thing is about Ouija board as well, you turn the lights off, you put candles on, maybe you make a salt circle, you put yourself in it, an intentionally yeah. spooky situation. It's a it's a whole performance. Um, yes, which is why they why there's such a, a big avenue for for frauds as well because yes. it, it's such a spa- it's a space that almost invites you know people who want who want mm-hmm. to pretend yeah. in, in that kind of way. And I don't I don't know if you're going to mention it, but. I think a really good example of this is Darren Brown's seance. 
I was going to mention it, but yes, that is a really good example. I'll just say this here because Darren Brown is a a magician and I can't remember all of those kinds of things that he says, but he, he basically does all those kinds of, he does magician acts. Um, but he also does a lot of like spiritualist stuff, but very much from the perspective of this isn't real, but I'm going to show you how it yeah. works. And he's sometimes... like a modern day Harry Houdini, apart yeah. from the contortionist stuff. Like Harry yeah. Houdini famously really wanted spiritualism to be true, but oh, yeah. was constantly debunking it and then explaining love... how it was done. I love Harry. I love just a pause on Harry Houdini because he's one of my favorite like magician people. Um, because yeah, because he and his wife had this agreement that whichever mm-hmm. one, whichever <laughs> one of them would die, they would try and seek out the other one and mm-hmm. and try and communicate. And and they had this special code. And you know, during their lifetime, he would look into this. But once his wife died, he he then you know continued to that and and tried to communicate yeah. with her. He always knew that they were fake. Yeah, at, at least the ones that he went to, because he was like, but you're yeah. not because we had this agreement of this code and you're not telling me that. That's why he fell out with Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Darren Brown is very much in that kind of ilk. He does all this stuff. And what I love about his shows or his programs is that often he will deconstruct how he's done them. Not with all his tricks, because, you know, he's still mm-hmm. a magician. Um, but he did this show called Seance. And if you haven't seen it, I would want like just go and check it out if you can. I don't know if it's still available. It was on Channel Four. I think um, it's probably on. Um, so it might 4OD. it might be on Four OD. I don't know how you'd watch it, not in the UK, but I'm sure it's out there somewhere. <laughs> and he basically did this show. It purportedly it was live on Channel Four, and he had this group of mm-hmm. um, volunteers who had all you know been checked through and signed off, and they agreed to be in this in the show. Some of them were skeptics. Some of them weren't. And he took them through this kind of abandoned hospital, as it were, mm-hmm. at night. And he did lots of these kinds of things with them, including a seance, not a seance, but including a, a Ouija board thing. He goes into the basement and they do this Ouija thing and they get results. And all of them are adamant. Like we did not, I was not moving. We weren't moving, mm-hmm. but they got specific results. And it contributed to the narrative of this episode, which is that there was a woman who had died in the society, in this hospital or site. I can't remember. Um, I think it was a hospital. I think it's a hospital. Yeah. It was a woman that had died there and they uncovered all these kinds of aspects of her story. It's a really interesting moment in the show because I think it's a moment where a lot of people who were re- real skeptics, suddenly thought but what's going on what if on? this is because real what if this is real because i know that i didn't move the planchet and yet we've got all of this information and i and i don't know where it's come from it can mm-hmm. only have come from one person at the end of the show and i won't reveal all i won't reveal the big spoiler i mean it's not live but i won't reveal the the, the kind of big spoiler but you find out that mm-hmm. actually what darren brown has been doing is throughout the show he's been suggesting certain things mm-hmm. Um, to them through his words and the way that he says things or, or planting certain ideas but on on their conscious level they don't register it but obviously mm-hmm. on a subconscious level they are registering it so he's essentially without them knowing he is mm-hmm. helping them to move this planchet around the board without actually him physically touching the, the board or the planchet they really believe that it's not it's not happening and it, yeah. you know that, that it's spirit communication but that's what I think is really interesting about this in that 
I believe in hypnosis and I believe in spirit boards, but only because I believe in suggestion. I don't yes. think that it's anything that's happening yeah. through spirit and communication. There's it's- such a strong, like we know that the subconscious is mm. such a strong, like that we think of we're conscious or we're unconscious. The subconscious is such a powerful state of mind and subconsciously we know a lot of things we Mm -hmm. realize a lot of things but we don't realize them on a conscious level we've joked about this before I think I've mentioned this before on the show that I often will be like I have a feeling this thing's gonna happen and then it will happen it's just because I'm autistic and I have really good really good pattern recognition Mm -hmm. but on a conscious active level I am not running through that pattern thinking the likelihood is 70% that this is going to happen. I just, my subconscious is like, comes to the surface. I have an overwhelming feeling that something's going to happen. It happens. It's just because I have really good pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. I'm not psychic. But if you, as we've said before, if you believe in that, if you believe in spiritualism, if you are spiritually inclined, in the same way as we talked about, like with religious inclination, you see things through a certain lens. And this is the case with Ouija. So some of the very famous uh, Ouija users, one of whom is a lady called Pearl Curran, who, again, we could do a whole episode about. She, through the Ouija board, made connection, supposedly, with a spirit called Patience Worth, who, um, so this is like the early 19th, uh, early 20th century, the spirit supposedly lived in, and this is in America, in England, around about maybe the like 18th or 19th century. And she developed a really personal connection. They wrote books together, multiple novels. This woman and her spirit friend through the Ouija board. Now, whether or not this was her imagination manifesting, whether or not she had read this somewhere in a history book and then it came up subconsciously, um, is unclear. There has been like biographies and things like that. But yeah, supposedly this woman co-authored multiple books with a spirit. Can I just say, given how long it takes me sometimes to write things on my own, imagine <laughs> having to sit there waiting for someone to spell out uh, certain <laughs> words. <laughs> yeah, that would be crazy. I feel like there's a, there's another method, not not the Ouija yeah, board. Probably. Like maybe you could have chosen like yeah, I don't know probably. a mediumship where the spirit whispers in your ear (laughs) I think eventually they did supposedly create I didn't look into it properly because I was like I'm gonna end up having too much information if I go down this rabbit hole (laughs) um but I just thought it was really interesting and I part of me wonders if there's an element of like you know she's a woman she's in I think she lived in Ohio so like Midwest um Mm. you know she was quite shy she went to Catholic school she dropped out is this an element of a young woman using a supposedly occult thing to express herself Mm. probably probably another infamous user and I shan't be going into his history is Alistair Crowley uh he of the Golden Dawn Alistair Crowley one of the biggest dickheads of history not because he believed in magic magic and spiritualism because I have no beats with beef beats I have no beats with beats <laughs> I have no beef with Yates you know I totally get it I think I probably maybe would have been inclined to believe in spiritualism if I was around 1910 Alistair Crowley was a dick you guys a fucking asshole he was arrogant and rude and yeah like Screw you, Alistair Crowley, but he also believed in Ouija boards. Shocker. So yeah, a really prominent part of early 20th century spiritualism. Into 
the later half of the 20th century, the Ouija board becomes a point of mass hysteria. Because guess what? The church, multiple churches are like, bad, don't do it. And you know what happens when Christianity legitimizes something? Moral panic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you shouldn't be inviting those demons in, into your You into really shouldn't be. It is technically, I think, against the Catholic, like one of the Catholic tenets that you're not supposed to divine with spirits and demons. And this is the thing. Ouija has become connected. So in spiritualism, demons and demonic presences, not really a thing. They start to become a thing later into the period, particularly with people like Aleister Crowley and his obsession with Pazuzu and, you know, demonic entities and this idea of devilry and what in that period was often called Satanism. It's not what what modern Satanism is, but that starts to become interconnected with spiritualism. It's Mm. not actually original flavor, original recipe spiritualism is quite, I would say quite earnest and quite like hope it's quite hopeful um you know it's coming out of periods of industrial revolution weapons of mass destruction global warfare and it's really an attempt to recapture something it's very similar to the romanticism movement earlier on in the century and I think it's no surprise that with the fin de siècle it becomes even more popular and you know at first it is just about spirituality but then it starts to take on this idea of well if spiritualism is possible Mm. what about magic and if there's magical presences what about witchcraft and if there's witchcraft then that suggests demons and if there's demons that suggests black magic and then we get to your Ed and Lorraine Warrens and (laughs) the moral panic around magic and demonology and spiritualism and it all becomes mashed into one big occult supernatural and yeah mass hysteria people got really really scared about kids using Ouija boards because it's sold in freaking toy shops (laughs) and I I think this this also says a lot about different moral panics in Mm -hmm. in that like things are always you know and and they're constantly being revised but things are always going to be presented in child appropriate or adult appropriate formats and if your child is getting a hold of adult content mm-hmm. then maybe that's on on you as a parent mm-hmm. but also sometimes things are are just for children mm-hmm. and the actual thing that you're worried about it's it's a game or you know yeah. it, whatever it is and i think more panic, panics are just really lazy and they yeah. just collapse everything into yeah. narratives of evil and satan and, and demons whereas actually like you know spiritualism and Ouija boards came out of a a, a period where people didn't have long lifespans necessarily Mm -hmm. and you know you you take photos with your dead child because you wanted to have a record of them being a part of the child and you'd you'd go to spirit photographers you know or or you'd or you'd pose dead people Mm -hmm. it's in that weird overlap where dead bodies and ghosts were kind of like you say it's that hopeful kind of thing like yeah, I want to make like, a I want to make a memory but also I want to reach out because right. I'm feeling lonely and or I'd yeah. like to there's something that I want to say yeah it comes and it's from that it's kind of like you know um a cult TikTok now 
at the end of the 19th century (laughs) there were all of these things you could record sound you could record Mm. images you could make electronic pulses you could call people across the country you could send telegrams the possibility and potential was so massive that it was like well maybe this is possible and it's the same thing of like we can record anything at any time and put it on the internet and it does mean that very quickly like this is why cryptids have become so popular in the internet age but particularly in the US this mass hysteria Mm -hmm. around Ouija boards because part of it is like it's the devil's work you're going to contact the devil and guess what you tell a teenage girl that something is wrong and it's the devil she's going to do it it's the same as things like like as a feather stiff as a board which is the sleepover game where you all put two fingers under someone and they levitate obviously that is also not happening or you know using candles to ask questions and all of these things and we know we I mean I was gonna say we've all been teenage girls we haven't all been teenage girls <laughs> some of us have been teenage a lot girls. of us have been teenage a lot girls. of us are teenage girls um it's a giddy it's a giddy time it's very easy to to be in that situation you all convince yourself of something like we said earlier so the Ouija board in the 20th and 21st century became this like dangerous powerful thing it's a freaking mass-produced piece of plywood but it also became a massive part of pop culture so in the the exorcist reagan part of the reason that she gets possessed is because she uses a ouija board there's been multiple films about them there's actually a kind of duology potentially there's going to be more movies from 2014 and 2016 Ouija and Ouija Origin of Evil the second one's actually a prequel I believe got better reviews than the first one interestingly but it has become this thing where it is part of pop culture like tarot some people love it for the aesthetic some people love it because they think it's real some people think it's this harmless way of communication others think that it is a way of letting Lucifer into the world so it's become this massive pop culture thing which I love because it is literally, as I said, a mass-produced piece of wood by the toy company Hasbro. (laughs) It is made in the same factory as toys for (laughs) five-year-olds. And obviously there is, like you said at the beginning, there is this very interesting narrative here about like corporatism and capitalism. But to just round it out, I wanted to bring it back to our lovely commenter playing Devil's Avocado about our ghost hunting episode so the commenter kind of said you know I also don't believe but as you said you can't prove a negative so we we're saying you know it's it's an idiomotor response it's your subconscious coming to the forefront it's you know a very localized instance of hysteria and suggestion and subconscious and unconscious manipulation but how do we know that the spirit's are not moving us to do those things, that those idiomotor responses and those subconscious things coming to the forefront is not also spirits. Obviously, we both are just like, because it's not. (laughs) But to finish up, I thought it'd be fun to have a little conversation about, yeah, about like the fact that, you know, we have an idea of why the Ouija board works the way it does, but we don't fully understand it. We know so little about the brain at present. We know so Mm. little about, the way that human instincts work around other humans and the way we pick up on things from each other. I don't, I'm not going to be the avocado in this situation. 
as I've said before, and we both said this, we respect people's beliefs. We respect, you know, everybody's entitled to them. I do not, I'm not saying that people haven't experienced the things they've experienced. I just don't, you know, I don't want to shit on anybody's thing. I don't want to ick anybody's yum, but I don't think it's real. I don't think they're spirits. I don't think they're spiritual communication. I certainly don't think they're talking through us to us through a you know product of of mass capitalism and consumerism (laughs) of all the things of all things but put a plan shit on a dress and I'll fucking buy it yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah so to go back to our lovely YouTube avocado we can't disprove a negative so where does that leave us on the conversation about the Ouija board like all things as you know as someone who is a, a an atheist who is really interested in in these kinds of narratives of of religion but also myths and spiritualism and all of that kind of stuff I think they're really interesting just as that kind of cultural narrative and seeing what what people are interested in and and how it you know impacts in Mm -hmm. people's day-to-day lives and and how it is important you know and I think there's lots of people since the dawn of spiritualism who, who have gone to spiritualists in whatever way whether it's gone to a medium, gone to a seance, mm-hmm. gone to, you know, an evening, um, or or they've got out a Ouija board or or whatever, whatever way, you know, maybe it's feathers, maybe it's some other kind of sign that, you know, because there is, you know, we are empathetic yeah. creatures. And Incredibly. it is this it is this way of staying in touch with loved ones who mm-hmm. are no longer with us. And and I think that there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are people who will prey on people like that. And that is where I think it, it it becomes uncomfortable. But I think, you know, on the face of it, there's nothing wrong with wanting to keep the memory of somebody that you love alive. Yes. I will I, I will also say for me personally, you know, with my kind of, you know, skeptics hat on, I am very much in the kind of, you can't prove a negative. So I'm not going to spend my time trying to, trying <laughs> to argue that, that spirits yeah. don't exist. But it's it's the it's like the whole swan example mm-hmm. if I've only seen white swans I'm not going to say that there aren't other color swans but for the time being I will just say that there are only white swans as soon as I see a black swan great there are black swans and white swans perfect mm-hmm. but I'm not going to try and disprove the fact that there yes, aren't black swans exactly. just because I've not seen them exactly which I think a lot of people you know in in various camps don't understand that that is that is what skepticism Mm -hmm. is is largely about it's Mm -hmm. it's not about necessarily disproving something or saying that it's 100% not real but it is in the kind of sense of saying that we don't have any proof for this at the moment but we have all this proof for other things like suggestion or like the, the motor um the motor thing or, or all of those response. kinds of things yeah so yeah. I think that that is the most likely explanation yes. and here's my big beef with Ouija I see Ouija in its in its original form kind of like tarot where I think tarot I don't mind people that do tarot because I think tarot is a very powerful way to explore your subconscious mm. if you're anxious about something if you're uncertain about something Tarot is is you, it's the same way as journaling, it's the same way as making a pros and cons list. Doing tarot is you or or divining runes, it's you looking for signs in the universe to help you understand things. It's a very human response. And I think in this way, it's a a type of self-therapizing. And I think Ouija 
has that potential. You ask it questions, it gives you answers. You are going to interpret those answers through your reality. If you have a concern, if you have a fear, you're going to interpret the answer through those things. Similarly, if you're grieving and you need to move on, and it gives you an answer that allows you to seek closure to to move on and live with your grief rather than continuing to dwell with it, you're freaking going to do it. My problem is that by demonizing it and literally making it horror movie fodder, it's taken on this kind of like fear aspect that by using a Ouija board, you are inviting something potentially extremely dangerous into your lives and the lives of your loved ones. And I think that means that subconsciously you're more likely to traumatize yourself with it and you're more likely to have a very negative experience. Mm. And this is the thing, if you believe in God, particularly the Christian evangelical God, you are also then essentially believing in the possibility and the presence of a devil of demonic entities of all these things it's the same thing of like if you subscribe to a that brand of catholic faith that has possession then that means you think that x y and z is possible or at least you've been cultured into it even if you don't fully believe it that means that when you are at a sleepover and you're asked and you know <laughs> like when we used to play these games as kids you're always like just such and such fancy such and such like when's such and su- when's this gonna happen there's always an element of danger to the questions that are being asked and I think it just makes it such an anxious terrifying experience and I I think that because our pop culture understanding of the Ouija board and what the Ouija board is we see it as this dangerous demonic haunted I mean, if anything is going to be haunted and demonic, it probably would be something that Hasbro produced. <laughs> like, it probably is full of bad vibes. It's probably like got a little yeah. green demon living inside it. If that's the kind of idea that you subscribe to, yeah, I can totally see, <laughs> totally see that. But I do think that in pop culture, it's so heavily mired in horror and this very like religious gothic in once again things like the satanic panic Mm -hmm. that maybe less so now because we are starting to get a generation that is embracing the occult in a way that is partially for the aesthetic partially for the gothic otherness setting yourself apart and partially because it's like well the world's so fucked I've seen all these things that I never thought could happen. Like I've lived through a freaking pandemic, another war, a Cheeto was the president for four years. Maybe, (laughs) like I can kind of understand why people think, and maybe in 10 years time, we'll have a little bit like we did in like the weird fiction where there's this reclamation of the other. But yeah, I just think that the Ouija board has become a symbol for evil. And I just think that that is going to make anybody in a Western culture in particular, I think that's going to color your experience of using it. And I think even if you are a skeptic, there's that little bit of you in the back of your mind that is a very human fear of the unknown that is always going to be like, oh, what if? Um, and I, th- I think, again, yeah, I'm not going to try and prove a negative. But as a historian, like a literary historian and someone who studies culture, I think that's why people have the experiences that they do. Yeah. I mean, 100%, because when spirit boards and Ouija boards were first introduced, there there weren't these narratives of demons. But Mm -hmm. because of this moral panic, they're now so kind of so closely associated with the demonic that it's it's hard to disassociate those those things. 
freaking which I Alistair Crowley in The Exorcist mm-hmm. like everyone now thinks they're gonna like yeah. touch that planchet Pazuzu is gonna be like oh, <laughs> here I am time to be possessed mm-hmm. <laughs> time to projectile vomit I mean that film is still terrifying even now to me but well I mean yeah. as everyone knows I refuse to watch that film and um I even have to <laughs> if I want to use some images from the film just because it is so iconic but I'm too terrified to google it myself I have to get someone else to google it. <laughs> it's the vomiting scene for me I can't I, I can't I, 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 I just can't handle it I can't literally <laughs> seeing any image of Reagan just sends me into a <laughs> no and this is the thing like we're both massive skeptics but there's yeah like we still have this very primal human like, like fear it. response to those images like I just don't like it I don't like it. I don't no. like it. But you know what I do love a planship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love the aesthetic of a we I want Ouija board plates, Ouija board cups. I want one on my wall. You yeah. know, I, yeah. I love it. I don't know. I honestly, one thing I will say is what a beautiful piece of mm. aesthetic culture. Yeah. Love it. Absolutely love it. It's great. Would have it on everything, which again. <laughs> I'm fine with that because it is literally owned by Hasbro. I'm not going to buy anything Hasbro puts out, uh-huh. but I'm going to buy all the knockoffs. Yeah. So I guess on on that positive note, um, <laughs> we'll we'll say goodbye. Yeah, we'll to, close to to, uh, to Ouija. Ouija. Yeah, we will move the little planchet. We will close the board. We will say goodbye to the spirits. Flip them the bird and be like, see you on the flip side, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that is our brief history of the mm-hmm. Ouija board. Thank you to our lovely YouTube commenter um, for giving us the, the kind of spark of inspiration to return to this one and talk about it in a little bit more depth. If, of course, there is anything else you do want us to talk about in more detail for a future association or a question that you have for us, you know, if you want to ask us a question and be like, hey, Lauren and Mary, explain this to me or what do you think about this because you're in our cult now if you've listened viewed even if it was just for a few seconds I hate to tell you this you're now part of a girl guide association yeah um we have no standards we have no standards whatsoever (laughs) no standards no dignity we might eventually make membership cards um donate to us on (laughs) Kofi. maybe we'll do that but yeah, remember, we, we're we always here. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. You can comment on the podcast. You can d- d- reach us by Ouija board. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, maybe while well, I'll be struck with inspiration and then actually it'll just be one of you sending me a psychic mm. message. We'll never know. Mm. Apart from we do. So... <laughs> that has been the Ghoul Guide Association. We have been Lauren and Mary, your Ghoul Guides. And until next time, stay safe and stay spooky. Stay safe and stay spooky. Uh, bye bye bye.